Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. This is our latest Last Week in AI episode, in which you get summaries, discussion of some of last week's most interesting AI news. I am Dr. Sharon Joe, And I am Andrei Karenkov, and this week we'll discuss uh, the new model from OpenAI, the application of AI to cattle management, some new research, uh, some ethics, especially with respect to Twitter, Twitter's AI bias contest, and of course, the new video from Boston Dynamics. All right, let's dive straight in to our first article on applications. OpenAI can translate English into code with its new machine learning software, Codex, and that's from The Verge. And there's also a cool demo on YouTube of this. And what is this? Well, OpenAI uh, basically created an uh, improved version of OpenAI Codex, which is an AI system that takes natural language, so any kind of natural language you type in, and converts that into code. And Codex does really well with just simple commands in natural language, and it can just execute them and write code automatically, basically. And it can also build on things. So as you're writing you know, or as you're saying different natural language commands, it can build on things and understand what this is and edit what you want um, exactly it to build. Yeah, so this is following up on some prior news where they developed uh, GitHub's Copilot with this Codex technology, and this is building on top of that, a new version of Codex. And what's new here is before with GitHub, it was mostly code completion, intelligent code completion. So it could be sort of like filling in some code from comments uh, or filling out a function call. Uh, to continue what you started in a given line of code. But here, what's really interesting is uh, instead of completing code or really working primarily with code, you can give these natural uh, language commands like, you know, make the game character move up and down, and then it writes that code for you. So that's quite different from what they've shown before, which was primarily just uh, giving code and having code be spit out, whereas here it's giving English descriptions and then getting code out of it. Right. And in the prior one, you could also give English, but they had to be in, you know, almost a nice code comment, basically <laughs> a nice doc string, so to speak. Uh, and this is very exciting for the no code future where, you know, if you don't know how to code at all uh, and you can't write a doc string, you don't even know what that is. You can still interface and with this API and be able to generate code. Yeah, and uh, as you said, they did show before that you can have documentation as you would usually have in code and you get a function out of it. But these demonstrations are quite different from what we've seen before. So you can uh, say something like create a web page with a menu on the side and title at the top and then get uh, that as code, which is quite different from like a comment for a function. And, and personally, I was really impressed and very excited about this direction. Uh, so they showed kind of some game development. But personally, what I was really excited about, they also showed this tying into a Microsoft Word where you could, uh, for instance, tell it to like capitalize every other word or, you know, um, insert uh, lines between in particular statements, basically any sort of description of what you want to happen. And then it writes the code necessary to execute that via Word's API. So in a sense, now you can generate programs to do uh, different tasks 
in different uh, like things like Word or other applications. And that really speeds up things, not just coding, but potentially a huge number of things. It also can mask out coding entirely. You know, you don't have to see the code at all. It just executes it uh, in Word. And I think, I feel like that's really exciting because then you don't have to know how to code to essentially write these very custom uh, pieces of code to to change your anything in your in your document. Um, and there is still a sticky thing with this, and that is copyright. Um, obviously, be less sticky if OpenAI were still a nonprofit. Uh, and it's the fact that uh, you know a lot of a lot of this this AI system is built on a lot of public repositories and public you know code, but there are copyrights attached to them, and that gets a little bit tricky. Yeah, uh, in in response to questions about it, the CEO kind of just swatted away, saying that you know we need this discussion, but also this is very helpful to the community, and I do feel like they'll have to address it in some respects. So, for instance, they uh, may have to modify their training data set to actually take into account uh, different copyright uh, instances and potentially uh, in the usage uh, of uh, this model, which right now it's still in beta, you can play around with it, but uh, ultimately they want to provide as as an API similar to GPA-free to build products on top of. And once that happens, I think this copyright issue will be uh, quite relevant and uh, something that they do need to address probably. But yeah, super exciting. And uh, yeah, you should check out, uh, there's a video on YouTube uh, showing how you can give it commands to modify a website or you can just Google it and see these demos uh, that are very neat. But moving on to something uh, maybe less revolutionary, but still interesting and, and a bit different once we usually discuss, we have this article from NVIDIA titled Catalyst for the Future, Plainsight Revolutionizes Livestock Management with AI. So as the title says, there's this company called Plainsight that is helping the meat processing industry improve its operations. Uh, and what they do right now is they automate what's been a very manual process that deals with just counting uh, cows and livestock as you know they move between different uh, locations. And they also have some examples of how beyond counting, it can help with health monitoring and you know various applications within this industry. I feel like this is a great place for computer vision and multi-sensor machine learning. Uh, it's it's also interesting. They also delved a bit into uh, the blockchain. Um, and I definitely have a question around, you know, is it valuable to prove on the blockchain whether the cow is really healthy or owned by a certain farmer? Because uh, they are actually uh, tracking, monitoring the cattle on the blockchain as digital assets. Uh <laughs> in a, a secure, you know, unique digital record known as an, uh, using an NFT um, for every single cow, so every individual livestock. Um, and it definitely brings up the question of whether this is overkill or not. Um, I would be interested to see if, you know, a bunch of farmers were to take this seriously 
or if people or restaurants wanted ownership of cows for their own consumption, maybe to track the lineage of the cow's health. Um, and this also, you know, maybe uh, could feel like it might be important for people to know that these cows are treated humanely and over time and are healthy over time. Um, it might also tie into uh, climate change and monitoring that. Um, but I, I don't know. That looked like an interesting part of the uh, article as well around the blockchain. Yeah, exactly. I, I did not expect that part of it, uh, this idea of NFTs. But actually, as someone who, I mean, I guess many people are skeptical of NFTs is like, right. you take a GIF and now it's something you can sell. Yeah. Whereas this actually seems quite uh, reasonable in the sense that, you know, you're, you're having kind of a digital proof of ownership. Um, and it's actually something that, you know, there's only one of, which is a particular animal. And there is attached to that all these records, right, of genomics, health, uh, and various things. So personally, yeah, I found that interesting and like something that does seem useful um, in this context. So we'll see if there's adoption. I, I don't know what is there right now in terms of records, but uh, also interesting. Yeah. Right. It feels like remotely adopting a cow and making sure it is being treated well because you want to drink milk from it or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> this makes me think of like Kobe beef where you want to verify that it's actually being massaged or something. Maybe that would happen. I don't know. Um, but I was, I was very skeptical at first when I saw NFTs, but thinking about it more, maybe there is something there. Uh, it'd be cool to see it go beyond art. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, also I found interesting about this article is the actual methods they use are not really that surprising and in some sense very kind of established. So they use segmentation models and they you know, do object detection of uh, you know, passing animals. So it's very kind of straightforward application of existing techniques. And what, what's interesting here is more the, um, the actual product and the reliability where they say the accuracy is 99.5. So I've, I found it interesting how, you know, now there's cases where you can just take existing techniques of AI and you really just need to adapt it to a given setting and, and make use of it. And you don't need to develop a whole new technology. You just need to kind of recognize the need and then you can, you know, actually help uh, improve operations and, you know, replace uh, things like counting, which, you know, I think also is not something that seems like a, an interesting job or something that humans really need mm -hmm. to do. So, yeah, it seems like uh, interesting to see this. And I, I feel like we'll see more of this sort of thing where it's not, you know, much R&D so much as just applying existing techniques to a new context. Absolutely. And it'd be interesting to see if, you know, Codex were to come in for this. Um, you could say count all the cows with three spots. I don't know. Yeah, now we have two layers of AI where Codex, you know, you have AI programs, writing AI programs. Exactly, exactly. It's going to be great. It's AI programs all the way down. Yeah. And on to our research section. First article is without code for DeepMind's Protein AI, this lab wrote its own. 
All right. So we've already discussed this a bit, uh, but DeepMind uh, did uh, talk about or release AlphaFold, AlphaFold 2 as a protein folding uh, AI. Um, however, they had not you know, released their code. Uh, and basically, Rosetta Fold uh, came out from the University of Washington as almost a response to that to say, you know, we will open source this code and make it available to the world such that scientists can start using this tool uh, much more uh, without a paywall attached to it uh, in, in efforts to um, advance science and find, find more protein. Uh, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this uh, a bit more of the timeline. DeepMind gave this presentation about AlphaFold 2 and kind of stated the results, I think around December of last year. But then they didn't really say what their timeline is for releasing the code or releasing a detailed paper. It was kind of like a little mysterious. So this team kind of took some of the details from the presentation and then extended their own research to build this Rosetta Fold model. And interestingly, uh, so DeepMind did release the paper and their code in July, but this team actually did it before them in June, a full month before that. And uh, they actually also published a paper in Nature on the same day as DeepMind. However, <laughs> two papers on this protein folding task. And Wait, I think could... one of them was in Science. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Um, yeah, and actually there was a, a paper that was released concurrently to AlphaVault 2 from Rosetta Fold uh, team that also described your work. So it's kind of an interesting story, and I think there's not been enough recognition of Rosetta Fold. Uh, there's a lot of coverage of AlphaVault, but not this development, which actually preceded the release of AlphaVault. Well, it's a very, very tight race since they're releasing things at very much the same time. Uh, and my conclusion from this is that competition is good <laughs> because I think this will enable this technology to become not only better and better, but also available to scientists uh, as soon as possible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in fact, um, you could even wonder if the release of Rosetta Fold influenced the release of AlphaFold. Uh, so Absolutely. In particular, yeah, on, on June 15th was the release of a model. And then just a few days later, on June 18th, the CEO of DeepMind tweeted that, you know, we've been hands down working on the paper and are uh, working to get the open source code. So I think the release definitely kind of put a bit of pressure on DeepMind to also open up their work. So that was very cool. And onto our next research story, we have artificial intelligence may diagnose dementia in a day. So kind of like the title implies, uh, there is this new work about diagnosing dementia after a single brain scan, which is opposed to more traditional things where uh, you take, you know, up to four or several scans. And, uh, you know, uh, the idea here is that this could help with earlier diagnosis, which could improve patient outcomes. And technology may also be able to predict whether the condition will be stable for many years or lead to uh, deterioration or need immediate treatment. One thing to note is that this is still very early. Uh, this is pre-clinical trial, um, and the model can, you know, diagnose dementia on the scans that they're working with right now. Uh, 
But uh, as things have been rolling along, uh, the trial, which is at uh, a hospital and other different memory clinics around the country, will test whether it works in an actual clinical setting. Um, And in the first year, approximately 500 patients are expected to participate. So that will be very, very exciting. Uh, I think this is just really important for early intervention or to motivate people to actually take on preventative health tasks, um, if there are any that people can do. Uh, preventative medicine is is kind of unfortunate since people only care when you know things are going wrong, not when things are seemingly right. Um, but like le- being able to say, hey, you're not on the right track uh, is actually a very, very important um, little indicator that we could get for not just dementia, but everything. You know, if you were told, okay, you're actually not exercising enough, you probably maybe actually exercise a bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it's also nice to see that there is this clinical trial going on. We've seen before how there were a lot of AI models for diagnosing COVID, for instance, and then you know, a lot of them turned out to be flawed. And we've seen this a lot of medicine. So hopefully they do take that into account and really take a careful study of this approach to evaluate it and then roll it out, which appears to be the case. Right. And on to our ethics and societal impact articles. Our first article is Twitter AI bias contest shows beauty filters hoodwink the algorithm. That's from CNET. Uh, So basically, a researcher uh, in Switzerland's EPFL Technical University uh, won this prize, a $3,500 prize from Twitter, um, finding that the key Twitter algorithm that is used to crop photos actually does favor uh, faces that are slimmer and younger and with a skin tone that is lighter colored or with warmer tones. Um, And... This is obviously, uh, uh, first of all, I think we had signs that this was the case. Um, but what's really cool is that they um, used generated faces uh, to show that this was true. And they used generated interpolation so they could take one fake face and interpolate it and make the, you know, for example, skin tone, just, just skin tone lighter. So it was the same person, but with lighter skin tone. And then be able to run it through the Twitter algorithm and find that the saliency, quote unquote, like the the fact that it, it whether there's a good face or not, uh, actually, um, whether that scores goes up, goes up or down. Yeah, and then this uh, there was a price here because this is following up on something we discussed last week, which is uh, Twitter's uh, bias bug bounty. So this is actually a contest via range, and uh, here the results are being announced as opposed to last week we just discussed that this was happening. And yeah, I think this is very cool. I think uh, it shows and really kind of demonstrates that this idea has a lot of promise. Uh, opening it up to different researchers to explore, uh, in this case, their cropping algorithm. So I believe they gave kind of uh, access to the code and some of these metrics, like how well the algorithm rates a given you know, portion of the image so they could see the saliency and really evaluate it. And yeah, this is you know a pretty interesting approach that this researcher took and something that teams internally at Twitter might not have thought of. So, um, Obviously, it's good that this is revealed and 
presumably, hopefully, Twitter's teams will take this into account and fix it. And uh, yeah, I think um, it, it is pretty impressive that uh, there was this result that is novel as compared to what's been known before about the cropping algorithm. And, um, you know, it seems to be a big success for this very first bias back bounty idea. And on to a bit more of a bummer story, not uh, quite as positive. We have U.S. will investigate Tesla's autopilot system over crashes with emergency vehicles. So this just came out where uh, there will be a study of uh, the Tesla autopilot system, which is deployed and usable in hundreds of thousands of vehicles. And this investigation was prompted by at least 11 accidents in which Tesla's using autopilot drove into parked fire trucks, police cars, and other emergency vehicles, which uh, the safety agency, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, disclosed. And these crashes uh, killed one woman and injured 17 uh, people. So this is uh, appears to be a broad study, a, a broad um this appears to be a broad investigation, which might be uh, pretty impactful um, and definitely interesting. I think it'll definitely help define how self-driving can be rolled out. Um, one interesting thing is that Tesla does tell drivers to use the system only on divided highways, um, but you can actually activate the system off of divided highways, like smaller roads and streets. Um, meanwhile, an interesting way to restrict that is that uh, Cruise or GM um, that acquired Cruise uh, actually is restricted to major highways and they use GPS to actually restrict your use of it uh, just so it doesn't have to go into those tricky cases and cause issues. So that might be one resolution from this, which is we need to actually uh, restrict it in the software um, such that people can't actually switch it on in, you know, problematic issues. Uh, since there have been, um, you know, issues around, there's an article that's titled five Teslas have crashed on the same road in California. And so there are definitely some streets where it is problematic and maybe some way of um, figuring that out would be useful. Yeah. And also on that point, uh, there was this article also went into how the Tesla owner's manual instructs drivers to keep their hands on the steering wheel, but the system continues operating even if the drivers only occasionally tap the wheel. And uh, this also points out kind of a larger issue, which is, you know, you're supposed to be paying full attention, but it's well known that humans have a real difficulty when you have self-driving cars to actually stay engaged. Even if you want to be, it's hard. And then I think we've seen cases where people are actively abusing and ignoring that. So, um, and there's been studies on using sort of computer vision to keep track of how engaged and attentive people are. So this could push Tesla to really uh, work more on this issue of driving, uh, driver monitoring and, and generally kind of aid with the safety of uh, these things to avoid these sorts of crashes. 
Right. And there have been studies around how braking or parked cars are harder to detect uh, for Teslas in particular. And that does make sense because uh, they don't have LiDAR. Uh, Teslas don't have LiDAR, which would help with uh, detecting that kind of range. Um, so it might also, you know, the, the result might also be to, hey, say, you may have to install this the sensor or um, there may have to be measures to ensure that, you know, those can be detected at a certain, a similar accuracy as other cars. Yeah, and this is particularly relevant for emergency vehicles, which are often parked kind of on the side of a road, sometimes leading into the road, right, which humans can recognize and kind of make a turn. But uh, these are kind of edge cases which AI may have a harder time adjusting to. So um, definitely, and it's quite important, obviously, for emergency vehicles to, to not be interfered with. So if nothing else, this study will certainly push Tesla and other uh, developers to be more mindful of these issues and more careful, which uh, certainly Tesla has come under a lot of scrutiny uh, to some extent by us as well for maybe not being very careful. And on to our fun set of articles. The first one is appreciating the poetic misunderstandings of AI art. And this is about the Twitter account at images underscore AI, uh, which has a decent following over 40,000 followers and they basically post um, lots of images of kind of surreal or glitchy um, and sometimes really pretty and beautiful images created through uh, AI systems. Um, so it was launched, uh, this Twitter handle, at the end of June, and um, the account has produced, you know, really interesting uh, results. I really strongly recommend that you go check it out. Um uh, what's interesting is that they get a lot of requests. Um, and one successful prompt that I thought was really funny was uh, Elon Musk experiencing pain, um, which actually was this collage of grimacing Elon faces or Elon-like faces and Tesla chargers. Um, and so that was uh, very, very interesting that it kind of pulled both of those together. Any favorites from you, Andre? Uh, I, I don't know if I can even pick out any because I do follow this and I see a lot of delightful images uh, from this account. Uh, so I think, I think, yeah, I just kind of browse and I, I can't even remember any specifics because I see so many. Um, and yeah, this is quite a good article covering there's uh, several images embedded in it. And it also goes into the creator of the account, which is a Sam Burton King, a 20-year-old student at Northwestern University. And they are not, uh, you know, in CS or AI. They are, uh, began as a math major and now are studying philosophy and music. And so they just created this account and are using tools that are publicly available and are more of a curator of all of these requests and ideas that they get and, uh, you know, uh, post a lot of these uh, images, sometimes dozens per day. So it's, it's an interesting case of how you don't need to be an expert now to, to use AI to create art. You really just need to have sort of a bit of taste and a bit of understanding of how to use these tools and not how the tools themselves work. Ah, shoot. You need a bit of taste. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> you need to actually be a bit of an artist. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think what's cool about, you know, trends of all the articles we've discussed or many of the articles we discussed here today is that, you know, the average user can start to handle some of these AI systems and work with them. And that's really, really exciting. Uh, though I guess the other side of that is sometimes maybe we shouldn't with the Tesla AI example. And sometimes some people are not, you know, in the best uh, state of mind to necessarily do that, or it's not exactly ready. But for a lot of these systems, it is about getting it to that end user, the, the average person, you and me, or your I don't know, your friend, <laughs> your cousin, everyone. Yeah, that's a good point. And actually, uh, the, the tool they use here is uh, VQGAN plus Clip, which you've already described, where you just plug in this English description, just natural language description, and then the AI generates an image from that, which uh, actually is you know what Codex does as well. You just give it in a description, and it generates code for you instead of an image. So it's, it's definitely an emerging trend of this sort of like just tell the AI what to do and it does it for you. And you just need to understand how to phrase it and kind of what you can use it and where it's not reliable. And on to our last uh, fun story, something that I imagine many of our listeners have seen. Uh, Boston Dynamics robots can parkour better than you. So this is a new video from Boston Dynamics as we release uh, every once in a while. And here the, they showed how their humanoid robots could do sort of parkour. They could sort of jump around on platforms. They could do backflips. They could jump over... Um, uh, little walls and it's about a minute, minute and a half of this sort of pre-choreographed routine that is, as usual, super fun to watch. Maybe a little less fun than the dance video they released, but also maybe a little more impressive and sort of exciting because these are very kind of athletic motions that require a lot of dexterity and uh, a lot of, I guess, <laughs> you know, strength to actually pull off. Uh, and the article states that the routine that is shown took actually months of development, according to the company. Uh, and I'm really not sure if I can achieve that in, in months. So <laughs> props to that, props to these robots. Uh, but there, there is a, you know, a failure rate to doing a lot of these things. And the vault that the robots actually do have a 50% uh, failure rate. Yeah, so you can actually find some videos, I believe, of these failures that robots have. And those are fun to watch as well because they really, they really take some falls. You know, it's, it's not gentle. They don't have any rope uh, to catch them. They fall on the floor on their face, and it is pretty dramatic. And it's pretty important to build robots that can handle those falls because in the learning process, not even at this point when it's trained, it is falling a lot and it is going through a lot. So uh, there's a lot of resiliency kind of built into a lot of robotics. Yeah, and, and these sorts of humanoid robots, uh, some applications they can have is for search and rescue and for navigating, you know, human environments, which of course will be important. So this was a bit of a test on how they can, you know, maintain their balance while switching behaviors and coding actions. So in addition to being fun, obviously this was kind of, a, you know, them stretching limits. But this robot, Atlas, isn't 
a production robot that's not commercialized. So this is uh, kind of more internal R&D as opposed to their robo- uh, kind of dog robot spot, which they are trying to commercialize and is being released uh, to, to buy. Right. There's so much more press now that Hyundai has bought uh, Boston Dynamics. They just keep coming out with, with new things. I think earlier they had some you know, promotional thing with BTS, the band. Um, so it's interesting to see a lot more come out uh, from the company and be less secretive. Yeah, it's, they've been doing this for a while and kudos to them, they do keep one-upping themselves and uh, they don't do it too often. They do it, you know, usually every few months, but I do wonder if people will sort of stop being as amazed if we keep getting these sorts of videos and it's just like, oh, another Boston Dynamic robot doing a thing. And that's it for us this episode. If you've enjoyed our discussion of these stories, be sure to share and review the podcast. We'd appreciate it a ton. And now be sure to stick around for a few more minutes to get a quick summary of some other cool news stories from our very own newscaster, Daniel Bashir. Thanks, Andre and Sharon. Now I'll go through a few other interesting stories we haven't touched on. Our first story concerns the research side. Following in Google's footsteps, Samsung is using AI to automate the process of designing computer chips. The chip maker is using AI features and software from Synopsys, a chip design software firm. According to Wired, the Synopsys tool, called DSO.AI, might be the most far-reaching tool on the market because the firm works with dozens of companies. The firm also has another advantage against competitors, years of semiconductor designs that can be used to train an AI algorithm. Besides Samsung and Google, NVIDIA and IBM have also worked on AI-driven chip design. According to Mike Demler, a senior analyst at the Lindley Group who looks at chip design software, AI is well-suited to the task of arranging billions of transistors across a chip. All current approaches for AI-based chip design tools use reinforcement learning. The method automatically draws up the basics of the design, including component placement and wiring. It tries different designs and learns which ones produce the best results. Our second story on business takes us to Asia. Since time, China's largest AI company is working with HSBC to arrange a Hong Kong IPO. According to Bloomberg, that IPO could raise over $2 billion. The AI startup is considering a dual listing in Hong Kong and China and plans to file for its Hong Kong IPO in the next few weeks. Since Time was founded in 2014 and develops AI technology for use in autonomous driving, augmented reality, medical image analysis, and other fields. The pandemic helped SenseTime's business as demand for facial recognition from local governments in China rose, despite SenseTime's place on the US's blacklist of Chinese companies. While SenseTime's IPO seems near, many details appear to be in flux and could change as deliberations continue. Our final story concerns AI and society. A large, multidisciplinary group of Stanford professors recently published a paper on what they call foundation AI models, like OpenAI's GPT-3. 
GPT-3, for example, is foundational because it was trained on massive quantities of data to reach state-of-the-art performance across a variety of tasks. Developers can leverage its general capabilities as the basis for software to handle specific tasks. While this sounds like a step forward and a way to make developing AI-based software easier, it does mean that those models will be more homogenized. We could see a future where many different AI models are based off of a single pre-trained model, like GPT-3 or BERT. As Fast Company notes, it is already the case that almost all NLP models are built on top of BERT. Percy Leong of Stanford warns that this isn't necessarily a good thing. We don't understand these models well, what they are capable of, and what happens when they fail. If biases and other issues are baked into models like GPT-3 and BERT, as appears to be the case, applications built on top of those models will inherit those problems. Although companies employ ethics teams and select training data carefully, private companies might not comply with a set of regulatory standards to ensure unbiased models. There is no regulatory body at the state or federal level with policies to keep large AI models from impacting consumers in negative ways. However, as Fei-Fei Li of Stanford stresses, the university setting can provide the variety of perspectives necessary for defining policies and standards. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with even more content at skynettoday.com. Don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review if you like the show. Be sure to tune in when we return next week.